Well, it's been a long time since I've preached at Refuge. Uh, a couple years because of COVID and those things. And last time we were going through First Peter, we didn't, weren't able to finish First Peter. That's all right. Now we're in Romans 5. Uh, Refuge has really been an encouragement to me. Um, I actually started coming to this church because of Refuge. Um, I was actually... It was actually through Refuge that I first started to really um, actually follow the Lord and walk with the Lord. And my life really started changing in Refuge. So I hope tonight um, I can be a blessing to you all in that same way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, being who you are, in that you are so holy and you are so uh, different from the world, in that you pour out yourself for us, you give yourself to us, you are a friend, you are a helper, you are a savior. We thank you for that and we pray that uh, as we look at the Apostle Paul and what he has written to the Romans, that we would be encouraged at the blessings and the benefits of our justification. Pray that our affections would be stirred and we'd be encouraged this evening. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There we go. <laughs> okay, I'll try that. So, Dave mentioned last week, he, had a, he spent a, a decent amount of time on where we're at in Romans. Um, Paul, through you know, Romans 1 through 3, has been discussing the, uh, the sin of humanity and how we're all guilty before God. Uh, there's none who are righteous, no, not one. Um, all of these different things. And really what, what Paul does in chapter 5 is it's kind of Sinclair Ferguson refers to this as the, um, the great reversal. And so a lot of the, uh, the condemnation that is... In chapters 1 through 3, now in chapter 5, we're seeing, because of our justification, this, this uh, we're being renewed, or we're putting on a new creation, and now we receive all kinds of blessings as opposed to those, uh, those curses. And we'll get into those specifically. But tonight, I want to look at, uh, Paul mentions three specific things that we ought to rejoice in. And so, tonight we're going to look specifically at those. Uh, before I do, I want to emphasize again what Paul is actually doing in these 11 verses. Paul, it's kind of like as he's going through his argument, and he, in chapter 4 he's talking about we have been, uh, we're heirs, the real believers are heirs through Abraham, and we receive uh, the promise through faith, and we receive justification by faith alone. And then in Romans chapter 5, Paul like puts on the brakes, and he's like, I want to make sure that you're getting this. Like, I want you to understand what actually comes with justification by faith. The blessings, the riches that come with that. And so Paul, and as we read through this, we're going to read through this in a second. As we read through this, you're going to kind of get the sense that Paul is really emphasizing this here. He's really taking his time and expounding. Okay, you've been justified but I want to make sure you really know what that means and what all comes with that justification. 
And you'll see him repeating himself and making the point clear, really beating, like hammering that point over and over and over again. So we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 5. And we'll read through verse 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have, been, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So again, you see this, and, and I, I usually don't do sermon titles, but I always think of them and then just keep them to myself. But tonight I was like, I want to share this one because this is, this really kind of hits home with what Paul is really trying to drive into our understanding and in our hearts about who God is and what he's done for us and what comes with our justification. And it's titled, Much More? Question mark. Like, there's more, there's more to being than just being justified. We think, all right, we've been justified, boom. Like that is the best, the greatest, end all, be all. But Paul is like, that's the beginning. You've been justified. Now look at all this more that you have now in Christ. Since you've been justified by faith, now much more, much more. There's much more to be, to be seen, to be felt, to be experienced. And that's all through uh, the cross of Christ. He wants to make known the magnitude. Paul wants to make known the magnitude of what God has done for us. The blessings of being in Christ are, like I said, a direct contrast from the beginning of the, of the letter. So first we'll go into, and some of this Dave covered a little bit of this last week. Um, but I think it's really important to really emphasize what all we are rejoicing in. And the, and the great benefits and the blessings of our justification. So the first thing is, Paul says, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He says, therefore, in verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So apart from Christ, we are against God. This is, this is where the, the great like, transition kind of comes from, or like Sinclair called the, the great reversal. Before Christ, apart from Christ, we have, uh, no, we have no peace. We are hostile towards God. We are against God. We're enemies with God. But because of our justification through Christ, we have peace with God. We have been reconciled. We have been made, we have been made right before God. God is no longer against us, but for us. So we see in chapter 3, Paul goes over all of this, and in that whole 1 through 3, the great condemnation of man, 
we see that no one understands, no one seeks for God. And he says, and the way of peace they have not known. And so now what Paul is doing in chapter 5, he's saying, hey, since you've been justified by faith, now you have peace with God. And really all of God's promises start with peace with God. We've been reconciled. And now, and this peace is kind of, a, it's, it's a double. It's like we have peace with God, and God now is not opposed to us. Now he is given, now he is at peace and in communion and fellowship with us as well. The next thing, the next kind of transition we see is apart from Christ, we do not have access to his grace. In fact, we are actually in his wrath. We are not standing, Paul, Paul says here, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We're like standing in a realm of grace. Easily accessible for us when we are failing, when we're falling short, when we're going through suffering and trials and temptations. We have, we have access and we're standing in this grace. But before that, in Romans chapter 1, verses through 3, we're actually storing up wrath for ourselves. So it's, it's a great uh, transitional thing that Paul is trying to make clear that we have, since our justification, we have peace with God. And we have access into this grace. And there will be plenty more of that to come in the uh, rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, chapter 8 especially, all of them. Mankind, and then here's another thing, mankind stands condemned because they fall short, and now this is a big one, of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Uh, for our... Um, What's in chapter in chapter three? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And now Paul is saying, because of our justification, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Mankind stands condemned because they fall short of the glory of God. But through Christ's death and resurrection, which assures our justification, we can rejoice in hope of attaining the glory of God. That scripture paints. Uh, the bride of Christ, all of uh, Christ followers as a bride that comes and it's adorned, it's beautified. And that's Christness, our sanctification. All of those things were being made ready for our groom, for Christ. And we are filled and we, are, we get to share in the glory of God when we are made right with Him and when we have Christ's righteousness through our justification. And we can rejoice as justified Christians, that our glorification is guaranteed. That's what Paul is saying here. It's your, because, because you have been justified, because you are now at peace with God, because later on, when we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, now our glorification, our hope for that, that perfection and that um, what we're all striving after for holiness and for sanctification, what we're striving after is guaranteed because Christ has died for us. And even in verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, Christ who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. His rising from the grave has assured us, has guaranteed that we will reach glorification. Um, I, think it's, I think it's Jonathan Edwards says, Grace is glory begun, and glory is grace perfected. Grace is glory begun, and glory is grace perfected. That really says an amazing thing. It's grace is, is uh, the grace in which we stand as believers, 
really sets us on the trajectory for glory. You don't get on that, you don't, you don't receive the grace, you don't stand in the grace of God and then fall out of that grace. It really starts your trajectory. And then in glory, it's grace perfected. It's grace all the way through to the end. Christ's death assures this. Therefore, God will not let us go. Since Christ has died for us, we now have hope of promises fulfilled. There will be a day when we will love Him as we ought and experience Him as we ought. This, this really hit home with me when I was studying for this. There will one day be a day when we will love Him as we ought. And, and part of this, uh, this, our sufferings and our trials and temptations is constantly falling short of the glory of God. Constantly failing, constantly sinning, constantly um, uh, trampling on, on the grace that God has given to us. And one day, one day we will love Him as we ought. Aren't, I, I thought this, aren't you, aren't, aren't you tired of toiling? Aren't you tired of not being able to know and experience all God has done for you? I've, I've thought, I've been studying this passage for the last week, and I feel the more I study, the more I try to understand, it's like the further away I feel from the magnitude and the glories of who God actually is. And it's actually one of the greatest tragedies of the fall is not being able to experience that perfect communion here and now. We now, in, because of our justification and the grace we've been given in Christ's death, we know there will be a day when we will experience that again in its fullness and its beauty. So next, next thing that Paul tells us to rejoice in is rejoice in our sufferings. Dave spent a good time talking about this too. He talked a lot about it, and it's super helpful that our sufferings are, when, when we're approached with a temptation or with a trial, and then we can overcome that temptation by the grace of God, it says, I am real. I'm, I've been tested. I've, I've proved I am a true child of God. By the grace of God, I have overcome this sin or this trial or this temptation. And those things are all good to help us know that we are real, that we're actually Christians. But not only that, but we can rejoice in our temptations and trials, and we can rejoice in sufferings because they prove that God is faithful and that God prom- God's promises are real. So when, when, we are, when we're constantly falling short and constantly struggling, we can, Paul is saying you can rejoice even in your failures. Because we know I have a Savior. Because we know that we are standing in His grace. And in fact, this is uh, an accusation constantly made against Paul. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't tell people that they're free from the law and under grace. Don't tell people that because then they'll just go and sin all they want. Because they know they're forgiven. And Paul's saying, well, if they think that, they're missing the point. And even... In chapter, in chapter, uh, in verses twenty of chapter five, we see Paul saying, "Now when, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life 
through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is kind of like unbelievable. It's like, okay, when, when Paul, when, when you're, we're at, because we're Christians and we've been around this, this kind of language, most of us in here, we've been around this language for a while, we would never come to the conclusion that, okay, well, we can just sin and grace can abound. It's like, well, that sounds like a personal, uh, perfectly reasonable argument that the more I sin, the more I'll experience God's grace. Therefore, so what's the problem? Let's just keep sinning and let's just keep experiencing the grace of God. But Paul is saying, but Paul, and, and, that's, and that's why Paul responds this way. Is, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because through our sins and through our, our temptations and our struggles and our toiling and wrestling with the flesh... Not wanting to get up and read our Bible. Not wanting to pray. When we pray, we're only praying for 30 seconds because we can't keep a prayer going long enough and we're, going, we're getting frustrated. And we can't seem to manage and maintain our relationship with God. Paul is saying you can rejoice in that because you have a Savior who sympathizes with your weaknesses. Who's with you. This, our temptations and our, our struggling uh, with our trials and our sufferings, they prove that God is faithful and that God's promises are real, that we do have peace with God, that we do have access by faith in this grace in which we stand. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Uh, Dave, Dave even mentioned this. I don't, know, I don't think it was last Tuesday. I think it was last Sunday, or maybe I don't even know when it was, but... We just want to, I want to hurry up my sanctification. I want, I, please, just let me be. When I pray, I just want to always pray full of the Holy Spirit and loving the Lord and feeling so emotionally connected and experiencing God and really knowing God, not just knowing facts, but I really want it to be resonating in my heart. And I just want to be there. I just want to already be there. And then we see seasoned veterans throughout the church, um, gray-haired seasoned veter- veterans in the faith, and they didn't get there overnight. It's a, it's a constant endurance and this constant wrestle and struggle and toiling with our flesh. But the main thing that we can rejoice in and throughout, the whole, throughout that whole process is that God is still faithful. When I sin and when I struggle and when I uh, am wrestling with, flesh, wrestling with my flesh or when I, there's, I lose my job or uh, have a miscarriage or, or whatever the case may be, God is still faithful. And in that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in our great struggles and trials because it is there you see your Savior who loves you and cares for you, who will carry you through to glory. In your failures and shortcomings, there is a very present Savior who completely, who is completely committed to loving you to the end and has given you access to infinite grace. Come now, sinner, for you have great confidence of your endurance. Paul's point here is like, Rejoice in these things because, and, and we'll get to it more clearly in, in, towards the end in, in uh, verses 6 through 11. He's like, because you've been justified, now there's no reason to doubt the, the infinite reservoir of grace that has been given to you. Because if Christ died for you and became your friend when you were an enemy of his, how much more so now that you are his friend, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, will he... Uh, lavish you with that grace and mercy and will be faithful to his promises. You have great confidence of your endurance. Are you feeling hopeless in the fight against your sin and sufferings? God is a sure friend in the battle, one who promises your inheritance. 
This is also why it's, it's um, a very unbiblical way of thinking that you can lose your salvation. Because you, how, even in verses 6, for while we're still weak, at the right time Christ often the ungodly. Uh, a couple verses down, for if while we're enemies, verse 10, for if while we're enemies, we're reconciled to God by the death of the Son. So everyone's an enemy apart from Christ. Everyone's against God, hostile to God. And God decides, I'm going to love him in his rebellion of me, in his sinner, sinner ungodly ways. I'm still going to love him. And now that he's, and now that he's embraced us and loves us, and holds on to us. Now for some reason. He will let it slip away. When he's the one who came and loved you. Even in your sin before that. So Paul is, Paul is saying. It's, it's totally illogical. And rubs up against the very essence of the gospel. To think that once you have been in, united into that communion. And fellowship with God. That then you will walk away. Paul is saying much more now. Now that you have been invited and gathered in. As his child, as his friend, in that communion, in that joy, in that love, in that fellowship. Much more now will you be held, held onto and kept through your trials, through your sufferings. So you have great confidence in your assurance of salvation. And then Paul even says in uh, verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit within us is groaning for us and is our assurance, is our seal of our inheritance. The promise of our future reward and glory and um, perfection and being united with God and loving Him as we are. Last, lastly, in verse 10, excuse me, verse 11, more than that, so more than all this, more, more, than, more than just justification being made right with God, more than that, we rejoice in God. So there's like a, like a kind of progression. We're rejoicing in the glory of God that we'll attain, that we also can take part in now because of what Christ has done. We're rejoicing in our sufferings and our trials in the gap that Dave called it last week. And we can also rejoice here and now in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. These verses are really the basis and kind of the foundation of our justification in our rejoicing in the, in the glory that's to come and in our trials and temptations. Because it is God who is justifying us. It is God who is coming to, and, and, and embracing us. Paul wants to beat this point into the ground. You see that in verses 6 through 11. For a while we're still, we kind of get Paul's, Paul's like, I don't want to move on from here. I want to keep hammering this point down. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more, much, much, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, as far away as we could possibly be from God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we're close, now that we're in communion, now that we're in fellowship with God, we'll be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that. There's more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
And of course, reconciliation, justification is like a courtroom, a courtroom word. It's like you've been justified and, and God's not just like, all right, you know, slap the gavel. You're innocent. Now move along. It's like you've been reconciled. It's more than justification. It's reconciliation. It's you've been reconciled to a friend. If you're in an argument and uh, going back and forth with a friend, a family member or whatever, you've been reconciled. It's not just, a, okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. All right, see you later. It's like now we can embrace each other again. Now we can be in communion again. We can be in fellowship. And this is the reconciliation that we have. Paul wants to, I said, Paul wants to beat this point into the ground. God's, uh, you're so far away from God that when He poured His love upon you, and if He did that while we were enemies, how much more confidence do we have now that we are His friends? How much more can we expect His love and commitment towards us? Sinclair Ferguson says, God only saves sinners. He doesn't save righteous people. He only saves sinners. Uh, one of my favorite verses is, is in uh, 1 Timothy. The saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ died for sinners. In verses 6 through 8, we see the holy otherness of God. There's, there's no really... Holy is just being set, set apart, you're distinct, you're different. He's just other. God is just other than we are. And He is so far removed from us that, we, that where we wouldn't even die. So Paul, and this is in, we'll read it now, verses 6 through 8. For while we're still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, or would dare even to die. Paul's like, yeah, maybe there's someone in here who would, who would die for a righteous person. But I, I doubt that hardly anyone would even die for a righteous person. But God is so wholly other and distinct and separate from us that He would show His love in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, Christ would die for us. Uh, the world's idea of God is very different. And our idea sometimes, our idea of God sometimes is, is kind of gets wrapped up in this understanding of God as in our kind of making God in our own image, uh, we create some kind of needy God who demands our affection, you know, and who slams the gavel. Oh, you messed up! Boom, you know, judgment. Or oh, you messed up, and like I'm just demanding your obedience. Obey me, or else. Or I, I want your praise. I want your affection. I want your love. I want your attention. It's like this needy me, me, me kind of God. When in all reality, that's the opposite of what God is. That's actually God made in our own image. Because we are needy. We are selfish. We are uh, arrogant, boastful. We want, we want the attention. We want the applause. We want the praise. But God is wholly other than us. The triune God is altogether different. Wholly other from us. That He is love. And in His very being, in His nature, in His essence is to give. Is to love. To lay down His life for others. The very uh, and that's when we think about the Trinity. That's the Father is first and foremost a father, and what is a father but someone who has a son and cares for his son, loves his son, delights in his son, is giving himself for his son, wants what wants what's best for his son. And so this idea that God is some judge, you know, slamming a gavel, demanding all these sort of things is 
the opposite. And really, grace, grace is just that. It's, it's, oh, it's flowing out. It's not a um, response when we are sinner. When we sin, it's not like, okay, grace is just merely a response of, okay, uh, I'll show you grace here. It's grace is creation. It, grace is uh, coming to love sinners and rebels. It's, it's the, the, perf- the really, no wonder scripture uses it so often. Like the, one of the best images is just a fountain. It's just constantly flowing, constantly giving, 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 giving. This passage is teaching us of this super abundant love of God. A mere judge who simply pardons the guilty, not a mere judge who simply pardons the guilty, but a God who gives himself to the guilty, a father who comes, a friend who sympathizes and a helper who is with us in the fire. The Father does not hold anything back, but gives us everything. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His only begotten Son. He gave Him. Gave Him up for us. That we would experience eternal joy and love and fellowship and communion with Him. He is a Father who cares for His children. The Son. In the Son we see the same, the same nature, the same essence. The Son freely lays down His life. Lays down His rights and His glory and gives Himself to endure sufferings and trials so that we would be reconciled to God. This is in, in 1 John 3.16 we see this. By this we know love that Christ laid down His life for us. He has suffered and toiled in the flesh so that He can be our very present help and mediator in our toil and affliction. He knows. This is something that recently I've been really encouraged by. And I'm just like, anytime I'm struggling with just living in the flesh and being lazy or... um, being limited, I'm tired today, so I'm trying to read my Bible, I'm falling asleep, and it's like, ah, God, I'm sorry, I'm, I should be devoting more of my affection, more of my love to you. And it's like, Christ knows. He knows. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, with our sufferings and our trials. Going through a, a rough patch in your life of losing a job or um, stru- struggling to have children, it's like, Christ knows. He's with you. That's an amazing encouragement. And the Holy Spirit freely comes to indwell our weak bodies with our remaining corruptions. He comes to fill old broken clay pots. This is a giving essence of God. He just is giving Himself to us. Not only does God see us through our struggles and trials and temptations, but He will be with us in the fight. Through the Holy Spirit. He's our helper who over and over again sheds afresh in our hearts the love that God has for us. This is Paul's point. Paul's like, yes, you've been justified. But how much more, how much more now comes with that? Look at the, see the rich blessings that are overflowing for those who have been justified by faith. How much more so now is Christ interceding for you and being your mediator 
How much more now is Christ sympathizing with the readings? How much more now is the Holy Spirit delighting to indwell you? How much more now is the Father pleased when we obey Him? How much more now that we are justified? So as I close, do you feel as though God has left you to struggle and fight for your own holiness? Take heart. He pursued you at your worst. Are you wrestling with doubts because of your failures? Oh, am I saved? I keep falling. I keep failing in this area. Why can't I just love God like I ought? Take heart. Rejoice. Because God loved you when you were his enemy. How much more? How much more now that you are his children? Let's pray. Father, these truths are far too wonderful for us. We simply cannot fathom your unfailing love. That even when we are sinners, rebels against you, enemies of yours, you would put on flesh, endure the weaknesses of the flesh. Live a sinless, perfect life for us, die for us, raise again for us, and now continue to call us your friend. It's unbelievable. And much more, much more than the glorious justification that we have. We have you who is caring for us, fully committed to our good. We do not deserve this. We thank you, Lord, for it. We pray that you would implant these truths into our hearts, not just in our minds, but that our, our heart would have a connection with our mind in these truths, and we would experience this great, great love that far surpasses our understanding. We would understand the grace in which we stand. We would rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We would rejoice in our sufferings because we see our Savior. We would just rejoice in you. We thank you, Father, for these truths, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So... Let's see. Who who's who are our small group leaders? Dave, are you going to be one? Herbin Jeremy. Herbin Jeremy. Okay. So we'll go halfsies. Um, we're going to do, we'll go straight down the line. Hunter, you and over. Wesley, actually, Wesley. What's your name behind Wesley? Right there? Yeah. Tristan. Tristan. Right there and over here. You'll stay in here with uh, Jeremy. And then the other half will go over with uh, Herb.